At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Well, what do you preach about on Father's Day? How do you encourage dads? Well, the text that I have today comes from a very encouraging book of the Bible called Lamentations. Uh, they would never give me that text for Mother's Day. I just want you to know that, dads. No, we're going to talk about Lamentations. It's been a great series. How many have grown from this series? How many have been blessed uh, through it? Thanks for giving me the obligatory clap for that. Uh, But Lamentations is a really important book of the Bible because as we have studied, uh, it gives us the ability to take our sorrows to the Savior and shows us what to do in our tough time and in our dark days. I wish I could tell you that life was always a bed of roses, but you've lived too long to know that that's not true. And the wonderful thing about Christianity is that it doesn't sugarcoat what life is all about. Life presents to us pain and difficulty, but how many thank God that we don't have to traverse through this fallen world without the love of a wonderful Savior? How many praise God for Jesus? Amen. However, I do at times feel like almost apologizing to you uh, before we go into the book, even though it's great, it is a heavy and hard read. And so uh, what I did is I had the team get a gift basket back here and uh, we'll give it away to uh, someone who stays awake the longest if you don't fall asleep. Uh, And then we also got donuts with dad. So all of this is going to be a great, great day. No, we're going to go to uh, Lamentations chapter 4 today. And uh, what we're going to see is that without God, people perish. It's a really, really tough truth. Now, why do we study this, though? Why do we study Lamentations? Well, I love what one theologian says. Christopher Wright says it this way, that uh, Lamentations is a missional book because it causes our hearts to long for God to act. Have you ever been watching a movie and a tough scene is unfolding right in front of your eyes? And if you're like me, you're literally talking to the screen. How many talk to the characters like me? Don't go in that room. Watch out there. They just can't hear you, uh, but I talk to them anyway. Well, if you uh, have ever seen a movie unfolding and wanting a hero to come to the rescue, this is what Lamentations is all about. It causes our hearts to long for God to act, but what Christopher Wright goes on to say, but it also builds our faith to know that he ultimately will. The good news of the book is that God does act on behalf of his people even after he has to judge them for their sins. Now, we all love a good before and after photo. We all love a good before and after picture or a story like a rags to riches story, a story of somebody who started in obscurity and ended up in success. And we see that all around us in athletes and entertainers and in part, I think this is what makes the nativity story so beautiful for us. Jesus, born lowly and humble in a manger around and among animals, ultimately rises to be king of kings, lord of lords, as he always was in eternity, now worshipped in earth by every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. How many thank God? That's the greatest story ever told. 
But those aren't the only before and after pictures. There's also the other side of the coin, what I would call the riches to rags story. The stories of those who started out in prominence and had every opportunity for promise and to uh, do uh, great things in life only to make decisions that would ruin their lives. And this is what you see in the story maybe uh, most highlighted in scripture is the story of King Solomon. King Solomon, son of King David, born into royalty, has everything set before him, but because of his decisions, he ruins it all. The kingdom that is dead helped to lead is now divided, the northern and the southern kingdom. We read through the pages of the Old Testament, in particular the book of the kings, and what we discover is that no king in the north ever pleased God. All of their ways displeased. God. And in the South, only a few did. Why? Because Solomon chose to not obey God. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of decisions. And I really want to speak to dads because today's story that we're going to read in Lamentations chapter 4 shows us how our decisions, men, change the trajectory of our lives and those who are connected to us. One bad decision can destroy a lifetime of building a legacy. But a good decision, in particular, a decision to follow Christ, can forever bless your life and bless your family, both now and into eternity. I believe it is true, that old saying, that when you are young, you look like your parents, but when you are old, you look like your choices. Life is about choices. And today I want to show you how Israel, God's chosen people, his covenant people, having all the, the potential for great promise and great uh, accomplishments, how their choices to rebel against a loving God cost them, not only them, but all who were connected to them. Go with me to chapter 4. And what we're going to find in the first few verses is this, is that precious people become worthless without God. You see, the, the greatest blessing that we need in life is the presence and the favor of God. Well, how do you experience the favor of God? More, more powerful than money or education, greater than anything that we can inherit is the inheritance of Jesus and his favor on our lives. As a matter of fact, dads, as you think about today... I pray that you would not just think about gifts you will receive, but gifts that you can give and the greatest gift you can give to your children. The greatest gift that we can give to our children is Jesus. That's true, that's not, not just true for fathers, but for grandfathers as well, mentors and men of influence. Well, Israel had stopped, had stopped directing their nation to God and they had lost the favor of God and what's about to unfold in the first few verses here is one of the starkest and darkest scenes in the entire Old Testament. It is a sobering passage, so sobering. I'll just read the first six verses but because to go any further would be um, uh, maybe too painful. Let's, let's read. It says, how the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. 
Let me stop there and just uh, emphasize here for a moment what the prophet poet is referring to. What does he mean that the gold has grown dim? What is he talking about when he refers to pure gold? Well, he is talking about nothing less than the temple of God. How do we know that? Well, he says in the next phrase, the holy stones. It was in the temple of God that uh, God allowed uh, Moses to be able to think of as a tabernacle and then later on on David and again Solomon, it was there that everything was overlaid with gold, precious gold, a place that was fit for the God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth. It was a place of great worship. You, you picture the greatest worship center, the greatest church you've ever been in, and this temple was greater by far. But because they rebelled against God, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar II to come in, king of Babylon. And not only did he devastate the city, but he ransacked the temple. And he took these precious treasures and he took them back to the temple of his pagan god. What a devastating moment. What an embarrassing moment. What a shameful moment. All because Israel had sinned against God. Verse number two goes on to say, not only was the temple desecrated, but look at what it says about the men or the young men in that city. It says, the precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. It says, these sons of ours that are so valuable to us, as you look at your children, as you look at your sons, they are more precious than fine gold. But now, because of the rebellion of Israel, the prophet looks at the conditions of the, the condition of the sons of the city, and he says, now they're like broken pottery, broken lives. In many ways, he's talking about his day, but we can look at our day and we can see the state of our young men and see uh, how many of them are lost and confused, searching for identity, not knowing purpose, wandering in this world, chasing after false gods and empty promises, and we could see that we're not too far from where they were. Things got even worse when he talked about the daughter's of Israel. Look at what it says in verse number three. Even jackals offer the breasts, they nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostrich in the, in the wilderness. What is he talking about here is that starvation and famine had so hit the land, they were so impoverished, so without food, that mothers became selfish and stopped nursing their children maybe malnourished themselves. They could not care for their kids. The city is in ruin. Then it goes on in verse number four to say, the tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. There was not only physical ruin, but look at the moral bankruptcy. That children, what type of a city had this become that children would beg for food and no one would give it to them. He compares them to one of the lowest animals in all of the wilderness, the jackal. He says, even the jackal will nurse her children. But the compassionate women in our city have become cruel. 
This is about as low as a people can go. In verse number five, it says, those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps for the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and here the prophet poet is saying that the judgment on Israel, God's covenant and chosen people was even greater, at least it felt that way. He expresses it that way in poetic language. And why was it greater? In what way was it greater? Well, at least, according to the prophet, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed quickly. At least they, they were devastated in a day. But Israel's descent was a slow and painful unfolding narrative as God judges his people. Again, I just want you to understand that the greatest thing we need, the greatest blessing that a family can have is the blessing of the favor of God. Let's never forget that. And if this picture gives us anything, it is a a warning to us assigned to us. I would, I would encourage every family to keep Lamentations chapter 4 in your back pocket as a reminder whenever we're tempted to rebel against God or to walk away from God of this too can happen to you. Why did it happen? We've been talking about uh, Israel's sin as if it was just a, a, a generalized sin. But who was it that God was ultimately angry with? Well, we see in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in verse number 11 of chapter 4, the answer. And we're going to read a few verses that tell us that idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. They were in this condition not because the children were primarily guilty. Not because the women were primarily guilty. But man, please look closely at what the words of the prophet say here. It was primarily the men who were were guilty. Look at what it says in verse number 11. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe nor any of the inhabitants of the world that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Israel. This is how impenetrable people thought Israel was. Israel had been granted God's favor in the military battles that they had experienced thus far. They had conquered just about every enemy. The fame of their might as a military power had grown. They were fortified in their cities. And so the rumor around the nations was you can't conquer Israel. It's impenetrable. But now look at how far Israel had fallen, clearly now devastated. Clearly the mystique of Israel was gone and people knew that it could be conquered. I don't care how strong you think you are, how much protection you believe you have, how successful you've been. If we turn our backs on God, we're all vulnerable, all vulnerable to this type of judgment. Stay with me though. He goes on to say why Israel was experiencing this type of judgment from God. Verse number 13, this was for the sins of her prophets. That's the first group that sinned against God. He goes on to give us another. He says, and the iniquity of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. 
They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. No one wanted to come near them. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests nor to the elders. There's a third group, prophets, priests, and elders, each one having the responsibility of leading the people to God. What is the role of a prophet? Well, the role of the prophet is to take God's will to the people on God's behalf. That's what prophets do. They would stand before the people on God's behalf and deliver God's will to them. What's the role of the the priest? The role of the priest was the opposite. It was to stand before God on the people's behalf. The priest went to God on behalf of the people to plead for mercy, to pray on their behalf. And then what was the role of the elder? Well, when we read elder here, it's not talking about elder in a church polity sense. It's not talking about elder from the perspective of leaders of the local church. It's talking about elders as heads of households. And their responsibility was to model God's commands, model covenant with God for their family. All of them, priest and prophet and elder, were called by God to lead their families to the Lord. But these groups had failed. They had turned their back on God. And in verse number 13, it says that they were in trouble because of the blood of the righteous that had been spilled. It was the prophet poet's way of saying, the blood is on your hands. What does it mean when the blood is on your hands? You are responsible. Man, this is a picture of what happens when we don't lead well. You know, growing up, my kids uh, loved a certain uh, group of cartoon characters. How many, uh, maybe this was popular in your house, how many enjoyed the videos and the books of the Bernstein Bears? How many Bernstein Bears fans do I have out there? All right, a few of you. Well, there we go. Bernstein Bears get, a, get applause. Um, but the Bernstein Bears series was really popular for my kids when they were younger. They loved those videos, loved those books. And uh, I remember one that became a refrain in the Brooks household. It was a book about, uh, about uh, a responsibility, and it had this saying in it, uh, with much privilege comes much responsibility. With much privilege comes much responsibility. And, you know, the Bible puts it this way, to whom much is given... Much is also required. Well, that's not just true for children, but man, what the scriptures would have us to know is that it's a privilege being called by God to lead a family. It's a privilege to be called by God to lead a household. These men were in a privileged position, but with much privilege comes much responsibility. And they squandered that privilege. They squandered that responsibility. They did not lead their families to God. And because of it, not only were they under God's judgment, but everyone connected to them. You know, ladies, I often say that when you bless a man, you bless the ladies. 
or the women that are connected to him, his wife, his mother, his daughters. When you bless a man, you bless the children who are connected to him. In many ways, it can be said that when you bless a man, you bless a family. And when you bless a family, you bless a community. And when you bless a community, you bless a city. And when you bless a city, you bless a nation. And when you bless a nation, you bless an entire generation. I think that's awesome that all of that starts with men being properly aligned to God, serving the Lord, leading their families on behalf of God, standing as prophet, delivering God's will from his word to their families, standing as priests, going before God on behalf of their families, praying for their wives and their children. Men, we ought to be the CIOs of our houses, the chief intercessory officers, our job is to pray for them that God would have mercy and bless them and open their eyes to the light of his word. But in Israel, the light had gone out. It was dim because prophets weren't doing their jobs and priests weren't doing their jobs and elders, heads of households weren't doing their jobs. And so just like I just said, if you bless a man, you bless a generation. Well, the opposite is true as well. If a man is not in covenant with God, his family won't be blessed. And if his family won't be blessed, the community won't be blessed. And if the community is not blessed, the city won't be blessed. And if the city isn't blessed, the nation won't be blessed. And if the nation won't be blessed... A generation won't be blessed. In other words, you cannot build strong churches and cities on the backs of weak men. The thing we need to pray for more than anything else in this hour is, Lord, revive our men. Revive men to help them to be the leaders of households that you have called them to be. We've all experienced what it's like when leaders lead well. But we also have experienced what it's like, the consequences of when they don't lead well. And God would be justified if the story ended here. If it stopped here, he would be justified. But he is a a merciful and heavenly father. And how many thank God that he doesn't leave us in judgment? How many praise God that he does not allow our consequences and our sins to be the final chapter of our story? I praise God that verse 22 is here. And in verse 22, we see this final point that that the end comes with a ray of hope. And what is that ray of hope? In verse number 22, it simply says this, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. In other words, God says to them, I will not punish you forever. I have chastised you not to destroy you. I have judged you not to abandon you, but ultimately to turn you to me. Maybe you're a man in here and nothing seems to be working in your life. Everything you're trying to do seems to have closed doors. That's that's not God abandoning you. It's simply him saying, hey, hey, look at me. I want to get your attention. Turn to me. And if you turn to him, the blessings of God will flow in your life again. What was God's mercy to Israel? I won't always judge. 
And where do we see his mercy exemplified? On the cross of Christ. It was there on that cross that he poured out his wrath. But how many thank God that Jesus didn't stay on that cross, that after he had completed all of God's judgment and satisfied the anger of God, he declares this, it is finished. And he was buried and three days later, he rose from the grave with all power in his hands and he offers to us life and that more abundantly if returned to him in grace. So the question is simply this, have you received the grace of God as he extends it to us? His mercy as he says to you, you don't have to experience judgment, you can experience my favor on your life. Today Jesus offers that to each one of us, men and women, boys and girls, he offers us to come to him if we are weary and heavy laden, if we don't want Lamentations chapter four to be our story. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.